We are resuming our series on Prayer 2.0, uh, where we have looked at reading scripture with uh, kind of a sacred reading with Lectio Divina. We've talked about writing down our prayers or drawing our prayers. We've, we've prayer walked. We've, we've done some different things. Um, but today, our prayer type is going to be about reflection. And so uh, one thing that came to my mind is that every week, in some way, I've been doing reflection with personal care, where we have a trivia question, which is often posed as, on this day, something happens, and then there's a question. Well, Thursday this last week was Valentine's Day, so I felt like we should ask a Valentine's Day question. So uh, on February 14th, I think it was 267 AD, uh, St. Valentine was executed. And the question was, why was he executed? And there's some fun trivia around that, and I don't know if you saw our slideshow before, but it had the trivia question on there. And the, the answer was that there's a tradition that the emperor didn't want anybody to get, uh, young people to get married, because they were trying to make sure they had as many soldiers as possible, and they thought that if you had families, you wouldn't want to leave your family. So um, the tradition says that there's this rule that they're not supposed to get, to get married. And so St. Valentine, though, disregards that and starts marrying people, even though the emperor says not to. Um, and so that didn't go well. He gets executed. So that was the story that I was recounting to people. And I had one person who, uh, I don't want this story to sound like ragging on this person in any capacity. I always really enjoy talking to this, this person. Uh, but they came in and go, but you know, St. Valentine was a really violent person. Like, he killed lots of people. And I was like, are you sure? Like, I don't think that's the case. And I was a little bit more confused and baffled at this kind of pushback. And so they went in and they did the rest of personal care. And they came back out. And I was like, you know, were you thinking about the, the Valentine's Day massacre? Which, you know, was the gang violence in the early 1900s. And maybe that, that got kind of conflated for him. He's like, no, no. Valentine, he, like St. Valentine, he was really violent. Killed people. I was like, you know. That, that doesn't sound right. I know this period, it's very early, it's before the church even had any power in this region. And so I was like, just on what basis are you saying that he was violent? And he said, well, you know, King Henry like, got rid of all of Europe. And I was like, okay, that's the 1500s. I was like, well, you know, the Crusades, I was like, well, that's the thousands. <laughs> uh, but there really was no answer other than, I think this is what happened, and of course that's what happened. And that's actually kind of a whole thing of our society today of like, we can't even have discussions about problems because we can't agree on the facts to even start to have a conversation, uh, which is incredibly troubling uh, and incredibly frustrating. There's not always a relevance to studying 200s AD early Christianity in my, my research background, but it's like, okay, well, here's a chance where this comes up uh, and just, well, I don't think that that's the way it is without any sort of grounds that they're going off of. So I think that that is relatable to us also in that if we're not thinking about our own spiritual history, if we aren't reflective on where we've come from in our lives and what God has already done, how can we kind of navigate our own faith journey and our own prayer life? And so our question today is how is our prayer life or our spiritual life affected by a lack of reflection or a lack of historical awareness? So uh, before we get into the text, I want to take us to a math class, which I don't know if it's geometry or which one, 
But at some point, you learn about coordinates. There's an x and a y axis. You got spots, you know, coordinates on the on the chart. But the only thing you need to make a line is two spots. You just need two dots. Uh, one dot is not enough. And so sometimes we live our life though. We're just we're in this moment. Maybe we're projecting and hoping for another dot in our future. But we're a little bit in the chaos, and we don't really have a sense of our trajectory and what what kind of path we've been on. And for some people. Uh, that line looks very different. You know, not everybody has a nice, smooth, straight line. They've got curves and valleys. Um, but how can we look to our past to figure out where we've been and where God has been at work in our lives? So I want to propose that the text we read, First Chronicles 16, is actually one of the most reflective texts that you can read. Now, some of that's from the story. So in the story, they're, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and if you remember what was in the Ark of the Covenant, it was the Ten Commandments was taken in there, the memory of God's kind of covenant. Uh, in Hebrews, it mentions a few other things, including like one of Aaron's rods that he throws down and shows something miraculous as a sign. And so they're carrying around artifacts of God's connection and relationship to them. And they're taking it to Jerusalem. And they're singing songs talking about remembering. So they say, remember all of God's great works for us. Remember how God made a covenant with Abraham and our ancestors. Remember how God promised us a land. We were a wandering people, but God promised us uh, a place that we would be able to rest. And so in the midst of that celebration, they are remembering that God uh, was key and was vital to that day. Like, they don't celebrate without God's work in their past that led up to that day. Now, so that's reflective. But actually what's really important impressive to me is not really with even within the story world it's actually like the history of the writing of this text and how it was shaped and how reflective that was so if you remember a few weeks back we read from nehemiah which was after the exile and we talked about how they're trying to rebuild after they've been scattered throughout the middle east and so this is written in a similar kind of time frame it's probably in the 300s um i think 522 is when they kind of were allowed to start returning home. Not everybody goes immediately, but over time they're starting to try to rebuild themselves and hope for a future. And so you may have not read First Chronicles or Second Chronicles very much growing up. They are actually a retelling of the books of Kings and Samuel. So if you read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, most of those stories, many of those stories will reappear in First and Second Chronicles. Like, well, why, why do we need duplicates? Uh, <laughs> why, why tell the story twice? Um, but the authors thought in some capacity, reflecting on all of those early stories in a new day meant something and had value. Like, you already have Kings and Samuel, why write this again? And even at the end of First Chronicles, it was like, hey, you know, we didn't tell everything, go read Samuel. Um, so why tell a story again? And so... Uh, they are without a king in a new time, trying to retell the stories of the kings, hopeful that maybe one day they might have a new king and what they're actually idealizing, what they're hoping for. And so they do things like not tell all the bad stories. It's one of the little fun things of Chronicles. Kind of washes away some of the darker stories. Here's another reason why you might not know much about First Chronicles. The first eight chapters uh, are all genealogies. It's not exactly exciting reading, 
uh, we've got eight chapters of this person begat that person, who begat that person, begat that person, which might seem really redundant, really unnecessary. And I feel like the, maybe the best way to make sense of why this mattered to them, it's, it's kind of a fad in our country to have, for some people to do genealogies and Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all of that kind of stuff. And some of that comes from a place of privilege. Like you had family that was notable enough, mattered enough that they were written down on a document, that they were, they were recorded. And so how far back you can go in history in part depends on how, how important they were and how easy that access is. That's not the case for, uh, especially for African-Americans who came, uh, whose families were, were against their will taken to this country. It's hard to, to do a genealogy and to research your family history in the same capacity when the intention was to rip families apart so that uh, you were so chaotic you couldn't bind, you know, bind together and resist or fight back or whatever. Um, and so maybe there's a similar little thought going on here of here's a people who are ripped from home, taken into exile, scattered throughout the Middle East. They come back and they're like, who are we? Um, maybe they've had marriages that are, you know, more with other religious groups, other nationalities. They're trying to figure out who they are as a people when they return. And so they start telling a story of all the way back to their original person. They're going to say, let's trace ourselves back to Adam. And so they're going to tell genealogy after genealogy after genealogy, because in some way they're saying, we are connected to these people who God made promises to, who God moved with. And even though maybe my own family life has felt uncertain and my own nation life has felt uncertain, um, God has constantly been there. So even though eight chapters doesn't sound like exciting reading, I think it probably meant something to that original audience. Um, but when we get to the story of our text, um, they, they do something else that's really interesting with reflection. So it's a book written to reflect on a past story that's already written to you. And then it sings a song that is copy and pasting lyrics. Uh, I think it's wrong to say plagiarizing, but like just to catch the idea of it, of it's taking song parts from other psalms and putting them together in one song. So uh, if you want the fun kind of uh, connection points, verse 8 through 22 come from Psalm 105, 23 through 33 from Psalm 96. Um, verse 34 is Psalm 106, verse 1, and 35 and 36 are Psalm 106, 47 and 48. So just like grabbing verses of different psalms to make a new song, which I think is meaningful because it made like intentional decisions where... Um, one of the psalms that copies from, it starts with the ancestors and it keeps going. And so it talks about the Exodus and God kind of giving you the promised land and all of this. But maybe in this day they thought, we can't really get to that powerful spot. We're going to stay with that group of people who are just wandering in the wilderness and who God is with. So it cuts the psalm off before you get to that place of strength and power. Um, and I think it's interesting to ask, well, why reuse all these segments of the psalms? Like, why not just sing each of those psalms by themselves in their entirety? I, I can imagine someone asking, uh, especially for our morning service, well, you know, shouldn't we just sing the whole hymn? I don't care if there's five verses, and I don't care if it's a very slow tempo. <laughs> 
But we're just going to sing every single word of this because it's in the song. And so you could ask, well, why aren't they singing the entire psalm? Why is it just cutting and, and, and choosing from the different psalms? Um, but I think there's something really valuable and meaningful in that, that they crafted and edited. They, like, took things that mattered and were meaningful in their tradition and reshaped them again into something new and gave life to those songs by situating them in such a way that they still spoke meaningfully to them in this new day. So I think that's really cool that it's not just they came up with a new song. Like, they took things from their past and reshaped them and reused them to, to uh, connect to the new day. So in that song, they sing about remembering that you come from a long line of wandering peoples who trusted God and found a, that promised land. Remember to give thanks for what you have. Remember to rely on God always. Remember to praise the Lord. And so that's an old song, but one that's been refreshed and made new again. And so I think about us and our own stories, and each of us have our own life story that brings us to this place. And some of those stories, like I mentioned, are a little bit more straight, a little bit more cut and dry. Some people zigged and zagged their way here. Somebody had wavy lines. Somebody had uh, jagged ones or spiraling. Um, but somehow we find ourselves in this place. And I think it's important to know how we got here. Because if someone, let's say someone who's, who uh, has never experienced um, a church, never experienced God um, in a faith community, and they asked you, how has God made a difference in your life? And you just say, well, God has. You know, like, hey, well, why do you think St. Valentine was violent? Well, he was. Like, <laughs> that alone is not enough. And so when we can't voice anything, it doesn't show, it doesn't show how important God has been, and it also doesn't show anything that people want to, you know, cling to. Why would I, why would I care about that? So how has my church made a difference in my life? If the answer is just, well, it's the church I've gone to, that's not enough. Why would I want to join if, like, well, it's just something you do? Um, so we are more than just a single dot on a graph. How did we get here? How do we spend more time reflecting and thinking about how God has shaped us, how God has moved us over time? And so one of the ways that I find really meaningful in trying to do that is a prayer called the examine prayer, which on your, uh, on the slides, or maybe it was on the handouts, um, it's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N, which might seem like typos to people, but the, if you do a Google search and you search for examine, it's E-X-A-M-E-N. And so it was a type of prayer that was meant to be reflective. Most of us, when we pray, are often thinking about, God, I want X, Y, Z. Can you give me clarity about X, Y, Z? And you're like thinking ahead and thinking forward. But we don't spend as much time looking back over our day. And so this uh, examined prayer was developed by Ignatius of Loyola, who is the founder of the Jesuits, a religious order in the 16th century. And he actually required them that they did this specific prayer twice a day, at noon and at the end of the day. And it was meant to, um, has some basic steps, uh, kind of get yourself prepared and in the mindset to pray, and then start reviewing your day with purpose, going through each step of the day. For some people, that's easier than others. Sometimes we've, we can't remember our day, which is its own problem, own struggle. Um, but not only what happened in that day, but reviewing your emotions of the day. Like, when was I joyful? When was I grateful? 
When was I upset? When was I in conflict? Like, thinking through the experiences you've gone through, where you've noticed God, where you haven't noticed God, and then you select a specific part of that day that's standing out and praying about that more in detail and more in depth. Um, if it's a joyful thing, saying, I hope that I can keep recalling these things, that when I have this moment happen, I hope that I recognize it, I hope that I remember it, I hope I, I value it. If it's something you feel like you failed at, you didn't do as well as you'd like, that you're mindful of how you experience that and how you deal with that in the future. And so when it concludes that prayer, that it prays for tomorrow in the sense of, okay, when I experience this kind of thing, uh, here's, God, how I want to respond. Here's how I hope you're moving. And it's asking God to kind of move and change you and change that direction if it's not a way that you, you wish things had gone. Um, but I think it's a really mean, meaningful kind of prayer that we don't do as much of that I think would be really valuable because sometimes we don't want to review our day because we know that I don't want to look at it. I didn't handle this the way I wanted to. And it's easier just to ignore it and move on and act like it never happened. But it's much more transformative to actually spend the time and say, God, you know what? I really don't like how I handled that. Um, what's going on in that? Why is it that way? And can you help reshape me? But I, I hope even more than just us individually being more reflective, I think it's important to reflect as a community. And so that's an important thing as a, as a church and as a group um, that we are a part of and we are active and thinking about. I was doing a little bit of searching about what's happened since this church was founded in 1839. Uh, at the time that the church was, was founded, Michigan had been a state for two years and was one of only 26 states. The flag looked a little bit different then. Uh, we've kind of gone through some geographic changes in that, like, used to be the downtown was the center hub everyone wanted to be, and then things moved out to suburb life, and now they seem to be kind of churning a little bit back towards downtown life. But all of those things affect how our church community was connected or, or didn't connect as well to its community. Uh, talking about racial transformation and changes since our church started, going from slavery to Jim Crow to new Jim Crow and hopefully making more progress in the future, but like just how much radical cultural societal things have been going on since our church was started. Uh, gone through civil wars and world wars and seemingly never ending wars. Uh, when, we, when the sanctuary was built in there, um, just kind of thinking about how crazy it is, like it was uh, eight years before the first light bulb was patented. You know, to think about the amount of work it took to build that and to design it for a different world than mine. Like, and thinking about kind of the creativity and the like make things happen that it took to start a church when Jackson was just forming uh, to build that sanctuary in which I can't even imagine what construction was like before power tools and all that kind of uh, equipment. Um, that room, it's called the radio room up there by the sanctuary. That's, I think that's part of why there's no light bulb up there. There's no light in that room as it wasn't designed for lights. And for whatever reason, it got passed over when other electricity and stuff went in there. It's just kind of a strange quirk. But um, somebody at some point thought, 
that we should reach our neighborhood and our community by broadcasting sermons on the radio and by communicating with the world in a different way. At some point in the 60s, decided to build this education building and have a space for um, the Jackson Child Care Center for many years. And again, when you saw the space, I'm sure it's hard, it would have been hard to picture the space actually existing and being fully formed. And then everything from the beginning of distributing Christmas food baskets to uh, recognizing needs in the community about hygiene products and uh, the starting of the personal care ministry and, and so many more things than just that. But I think sometimes we can get lost in the trees and, and miss out that some of this church's history has been in creativity, has been making new things happen, has been trying to reach the community in new ways and these big moments. And sometimes we can get lost in whatever the last, you know, you can pick the number of years is and how things seem similar. But something about this church's history is this hopefulness, this optimism, this, this let's try this, let's build something um, and hope that God is going to use this. And so I think that it's actually uh, more meaningful or more living up to the church's history to look for that new way of, again, reaching our community, of look for that new way in which we can use our resources better for, for our neighborhood. Um, and that that is what honors our tradition, is to be like them and starting something new and fresh, uh, not necessarily always just the status quo. Um, so that's, that's my prayer for us is that we both individually spend time in reflection looking at our past and how God has shaped us so we can answer people about why does this faith matter? Why do you go to that church? Why, why do you believe in God? That you can tell that story of how God has been at work in your life. Um, but that we're also mindful of the greater story of how God has been at work in our church and the ways in which that has made an impact in people's lives and how we hope we can continue to make that a relevant impact in people's lives. So... Um, just with that said, I, I just say it's a blessing to be your pastor here, um, to be on that journey and to be in this, this, these steps of that journey, which uh, started well before I got here and will go on well after I leave uh, with all praise and, uh, and glory given to God. So with that being said, I want to just open the floor up to reflections, comments, questions, whatever you might have.